While there is doom and gloom about interest rates, building materials and the cost of trades, those in the know know that this is an opportunity to make a move. The key is to know what is viable, what will make money and having the right team behind you. Today, we're going to find out how to find that viable development site that will make you money in the market. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Copyright is expanding its team because we are considered leaders in writing quality copy for properties for sale, properties for lease, properties to Airbnb, blogs about the state of the market, bios about your people, and websites for all industries. If you need professionally written copy that makes you stand out, call Lisa on 5977-8889 or go to www.realcopyright.com.au. Jim Malamatinas bought his first house at the tender age of 22. Little did he know that this would grow into his passionate full-time career of helping other people buy homes with an investment focus. Jim's personal property portfolio is now a multi-million dollar holding, putting him in the perfect position to help buyers and new developers source the right property to develop and build their own wealth through property. As a property developer and buyer's advocate, Jim is passionate about property and people and and openly shares his learnings with his clients to help them achieve their property goals. Welcome, Jim. How are you? Great. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for the introduction. Great to see you yeah. and great to be live here. Yeah, thanks for coming in. It's a little bit of a drive down to Somerville, but it was well worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. And the tour was great. Yeah. <laughs> now, in the intro, we talked about the doom and gloom of the, in the media about how the market is responding to interest rates, lack of building materials and expensive labour costs. Now, how are you finding the market at the moment? Yeah, well, the market at the moment, from my perspective, is it's still really challenging to yeah. buy properties. I mean, all the clients that I have on my books in terms of development sites and, and family-owned homes, we can't find anything online. There's just mm. that shortage of property. Yeah. And so it's just that typical demand versus supply. When there's not enough demand, prices are still sort of going up. Yeah. And, um, you know, typical things that I'm doing at the moment is really sourcing off-market properties. Yeah. And there is one that's on market where, you know, we're negotiating from today. Mm. It's first open for inspection. There was 30 people through. So yeah. it just goes to show that for that, a-grade, really hot property, mm. it's still, you know, going crazy if you like. Yeah. But it has to be the right property. There's those yes. properties that aren't as desirable, so B and C grades, the yeah. ones that are on the main roads, yeah. they just sit there. Mm. But the kinds of stuff that we want for our clients and, you know, yes. for ourselves are the good ones and the good ones, they're just not around at the moment. And when they do get around, they're going crazy. So you want to find yeah. them before the, the rest of the people do. Yeah, I actually had two results overnight from properties that we wrote. Um, one had a went over the reserve by four hundred thousand in Campbell. Um, had to go a quiet auction. Um, it was booked in for tomorrow, Saturday, uh, and there was apparently a couple in the Burundara area who are buying properties and rescinding on them, and done it a few times and so now they're on a special list and I think the police are involved and all that stuff not to why would they do that who knows um so they secretly moved the auction to uh Thursday night 
sold it for 400 over reserve. That's crazy. Had four beers. That's insane. Well, it reminds me of one that was three weeks ago in South Melbourne, mm. a beautiful double-storey terrace. The range was moved three times, was increased three times during mm. the four-week campaign, which yeah. I've got all kudos to the agent, has never been done, yeah. you know, that I can recall. And it sold, so I opened up the bidding and it sold for half a million above the top of the third increase of the wow. range. Yeah. So obviously I was blown out of the water. Yeah. But we knew that anyway. We knew it would go hot and yeah. above our range, but you've still got to be in it to win yeah. it. Yeah. And there was another one I did um, – Brand new renovation in um, East Brighton, Hampton style, you know, near the golf course. And, uh, yeah, they sold that prior to auction, um, I think it's like $4.2 or $4.3 million in East Brighton. Like, when I mean East Brighton, like near Cummings Road. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Brighton Golf Course. Like, when I was growing up, that was like the average area yeah. of right, East Brighton. Things have, yeah, they've, they've changed though. And yeah. so East Brighton is really, because of the park, Dendy Park, it's really increased in value. Yeah. Um, the and park's again, always been there. True. <laughs> a lot more people coming to Bayside, which, yeah. as we know, is a nice place to be. It is, definitely. Now, getting into the questions, on paper, what should we be looking for in a development site before we actually go visit the site? That's a great question, and it's always the first thing that I start with. I think yeah. desktop research is, is gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the first thing that I always do and I encourage my clients to do is to take a step back and just look at it holistically. Yeah. So looking at the site holistically and not emotionally. So mm. no remove emotion because we all really get emotional about property yeah. and even about development sites because people do potentially want to live in one of the two or mm. three units that they build. So it's so important to step back and look at how the site actually stacks up as a potential development. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of that would be looking at it on paper in terms of a viability analysis yeah. before you even waste your time speaking to agents and going out there. There's so much you can do online and, and through the contract of sale, yes. vendors, you know, statement and section 32, all the different names we have for it. Yes. So, you know, in that first part, the first things I look at is the zoning. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different zones out there, Sue, and they're mm-hmm. so complicated and confusing and everyone wants to be the expert to try and make it really complicated mm. so let me just simplify it for your listeners out there there's mm. two zones that i predominantly look for mm-hmm. when i do my own developments and for clients uh general residential zones yes. and growth zones so residential growth zones yeah. the, the key ones that are more prone to encourage medium and high density development yes. and it's all around infrastructure Mm-hmm. So if there's, you know, train stations close by, hospitals, shops, all that kind of thing, mm-hmm. they do encourage that sort of medium to high density yeah. depending on what your objective is. Yeah. So in doing your desktop research, there's sort of four key things mm-hmm. that I look at. Zoning is one. Second thing is overlays on the land. So there's yeah. you know, further things that they put on which are overlays, which is just another planning requirement. Mm. So, And you can really get caught out by those things if you don't know about them. Yeah. And uh, one of them is heritage overlays. Mm. You know, people don't think, what does heritage overlay, what does that mean? Well, it means that you can't touch the front of the house, if not more yeah. of it. Um, other things are flooding overlays. That, you know, that section is, you know, prone to flooding, mm-hmm. which really can increase the cost of a development substantially. Yeah. You know, your foundations are more expensive. The build's going to be higher. Um, and just an example of probably my first development going back 15 years ago was single covenant dwelling streets yeah i bought my first development one house away from a single covenant street yeah um and had no idea yeah at the time because you know you didn't know i didn't know and i had no idea what i was doing 15 years ago and there's some pockets <laughs> like the doville estate in Morris that's all single dwelling covenants yeah and 
parts of the Gascoigne estate in, you know, East Malvern, you know, they're all single dwelling covenant kind of property, you know, areas. And, yep, single dwelling means one house, that's it, no more. Absolutely. And I was literally a house away from that street. Mm. And, look, I did relative due diligence for what I knew at the time and I knew that my block was, you know, able to be developed for what I wanted. But if I had bought in that street, there was no chance. And there's people Mm. that don't do their due diligence and, and do buy with the potential to develop and yeah. miss simple things. Yeah. So. And, you know, you look at, for instance, Jim had a quick look around my property today and, you know, it's an acre. Um, it's on a corner. Yep. Sounds Corners perfect. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> perfect. But we are in a low-density green zone. So essentially one property, one house with a – we have a dependable person unit that isn't rated – on the back. So, and the reason why that is is because we're on septic. So yeah. septic, you need to have a certain amount of space to be able to have the septic lines go out to the garden and um, disperse the wastewater. Yeah? Yeah. And so it's a, until we get sewerage to the property, there's no chance of being able to subdivide it. Developer, whatever. No, and for now, this is beautiful. It's you know yeah, so serene. I was just to. saying how serene it is out there, <laughs> and it's lovely. It's a beautiful place. You wouldn't want to, but later in life, yeah, you might want to. Mm. So, so, but lots of things have to change for that to happen. Hundred mm. percent. So, just to quickly touch on a couple other things yeah. that I think will be valuable for people to be aware of is looking at the size of the land. Yeah, size is is pretty critical. You mm-hmm. know, you go through zoning, you understand the overlays. Size is critical because. Most councils allow you to build up to 50% of the site. Mm-hmm. Some go up to 60. But the bigger the site, the bigger the townhouses that you can build, the more sale, more, you know, the increased sales price yeah. and, you know, the high profit that you'll make on it. Yeah. And then the final thing and probably one of the most important thing, which has led people um, down a path of failure, nothing's really a failure, but it's all a learning, mm-hmm. are trees and trees and, you know, vegetation protection yeah. overlays are, are critical and so yeah. really being aware of the trees and getting them checked out to make sure that they're not native or protected or they're just not in you know they still could be native and protected but they could work with the development site depending yeah. on the position yeah and you know it's funny when i write copy for you know development sites that's one thing i do look for i make sure that the, the <laughs> trees are on the border and i will make note of you know with you know established borders or you know garden borders or something like that so it's not going to interfere with the fact that you know if a developer wanted the property there's not a big chunky you know protected gum tree right in the middle of the backyard which is going to restrict the options absolutely it's it's such a critical thing and we um just last week we rejected a site that had a tree right Mm. in the middle of the block over the top of the house Mm. and um yeah it was an exotic tree that couldn't be moved couldn't even be pruned Oh, so, really? and we could have got that site for at least 200 grand under market value, but there's no use because yeah, it didn't the serve the objective because of the tree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I did a house recently which had been newly oh, built probably in the last 15 years or so. And um, they had this beautiful tree which probably had a one and a half meter sort of diameter uh, trunk on it. And they said that it is, uh, there's an overlay on that tree. However, they were allowed to prune about 10% of the tree every year to maintain its integrity. Um, and Unless it's dangerous. That's the only time we yeah, yeah, can prune a little bit more. But or... that's that was what they'd been, yeah. Like, obviously, they've got an arborist coming in and, and double-checking what is, you know, 
becoming dangerous and what's not. Yeah. Um, but that's that's their due diligence every year that they're servicing that tree, making sure that you know it's looking after their neighbours as well as themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Mm. So that that's sort of the key things you can do desktop wise in terms yeah. of online and through the contract of sale. So what websites are useful in helping qualifying a viable development? Websites, all the desktop research. So to get yeah. all that information, you can pretty much get it from your desk. Yeah. So all desktop stuff. There's a lot of sites. Um, I've got my favourites. So yeah. let me just tell you, I want to give you the exact addresses. So firstly, it's um, looking at the council websites. So they will tell you um, exactly you know, what the council requirements are and any restrictions and overlays mm-hmm. for that specific council. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the building coverage, open space requirements, um, overshadowing and overlooking. The other key thing that's really important is to understand what's currently advertised in the area Yeah. because that will allow you to get a bit of a feeling for what you can do. Mm-hmm. Never assume, but it gives you a bit of a guide. Yeah. And the third thing, which I think is paramount, is to know what's already been approved. Yeah. Because, you know, there could be a big five-storey apartment building mm. going two streets down the corner. And we know a lot of that's happening around Southland at the moment. Yeah. And people in that section, their properties are all severely devalued because no mm. one wants to look at a five-storey apartment building no. while they're sunbaking in their backyard. Yeah. Or having people look at, looking yeah. at them. <laughs> oh, I had a, not an argument, but I had a, a property in East, sorry, Hampton East, one street off Napoleon Highway. And it was actually zoned activity zone, ACZ1. Yeah. And beautiful five-bedroom home, renovated probably over the last 20 years. Um, well, beautifully looked after. Lovely family, been there for 30 years. Um, and I said, why are you moving? And she goes, oh, because they're building a five-story thing across the road. And she's, and I said, okay, so, you know, a developer might buy this property knowing they can rent this out to a family for the next 10 years while they buy house next door, house next door to that, house next door to that. And then they might buy, build their five-storey thing using a few properties, but at least you've got another family who might be happy to live there in the short term What before this happens. So you're still attracting a family, yeah, right? However, she goes, no, no, we can't advertise it. It's only for families. This is how, It's too good to knock down. It's too good to do this. And I'm like, you're reducing your market share yeah. here. Yeah, absolutely. A developer is going to see prize, you know, potential here. And they may offer you more money. A family is going to say, um, we're not paying that much money because we're going to have this overshadowing us now. Absolutely. And it's so that's spot on, Sue. The developer may pay more money, but the developer will only pay more money if the numbers stack up. Yeah. Because it's all about numbers. So if he can acquire five or six sites to do five stories worth of apartments yeah. and get a great return, yeah. then he will pay a little bit more. And he's not going to do it overnight. He's going to do it in probably five, six years' time once he's acquired all those properties. Yeah, absolutely. And we know there's one happening at the moment, but that's taking time already just to get the investment behind it for yeah. it to go up. But, you know, if they can get a 1000 bucks a week rent out of a family to live there or share accommodation it, make, you know, 300 bucks a bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? But everyone, look, yeah. I, you know, in my job, I guide people mm. and ultimately, you know, give my professional opinion and then they make the decision because I yeah. work for my clients at the end of the day. Yeah. They employ me for my knowledge, expertise and so forth, but you can't. You can't force people to, no. to and that's that's what, what we the best thing we is. came to the the agent and I 
you know, we decided that, you know, we'll put little hints in. This is the size of the land. This is the size, um, you know, it's, you know, stone's throw from, to the shops and whatever to indicate that you know, a developer might be interested. <laughs> but we're not putting those, developer, no big. Yeah, no, no, no one lines around it, no. <laughs> but it's important. I think, you know, spot on. It's a way to do it because yeah. it's, it's already got those, let's be honest, people are already looking at it from that potential. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the sites, I think there's you know there's three more sites and there's a one-stop shop, my favourite site, which I yeah. want to finish off on. So there's VicPlan. Mm-hmm. So VicPlan, everyone knows, I've just got the exact site. It's mapshare.vic.gov.au. Mm-hmm. And that gives you, again, all planning zone information, all the planning overlays. It gives you all the na- neighbourhood characteristics, yeah. objectives, setbacks, coverage, all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. also building heights. Um, then my absolute favourite one-stop shop, site so if you had to take one site mm-hmm. it would be land.vic.gov.au yeah now that's got everything that the other two have but it's all in one place so can i ask do you pay a subscription for that no so this is a that's what i mean this is a great this is bookmark for me it's the first place i okay. go to it links to so it gives you all the information about the property and then it links to the council so you can mm. go into that council look at all the overlays um, it links to Vic Plan as mm-hmm. well, and it gives you all the information that, that Vic Plan provides, so the zones, overlays, and so forth. Yeah, and then it also gives you the property dimensions and size, so it gives you the okay. block size to help you. I think also them. some council sites are a bit more information focused than others. Some don't give you everything. Yeah, I think the beauty of this is you put the exact address in. Yeah, yeah. You put the exact address in. It gives you all those things, and mm. you can link and get all the subsidiary information. Yeah. So. Literally save that, play around with it, and you'll find everything you need on it. Yeah. One thing I do love too is um, just go Google Maps. If you, you – know, I was going to say Google Earth next. Google, yeah, <laughs> no, no, but Google Maps, and then you just zone in onto that street and yeah. it, you will see a visual representation of how many properties have been subdivided in that street by seeing how many you know, units – there might have two units, three units, four units. It, it's, it's there as, you know, saying, oh, there's one big chunky block here, you know, with one house and then the next one might have two, the next one might have, you know, three, depending on if it's a bit further. But you can also see how big the land is based on, you know, and see that they're exactly the same size, you know, neighbourhood after neighbourhood. It's like, well, they've done it on that size block. They should be able to do it on this block. 100%. Precedence mm. is a great thing, mm. but never expect the same thing to happen because it all yeah. depends, obviously, you know, on the council. Councils evolve, planners change, yeah. and so forth. And, you know, I did the same thing a couple of years ago in Black Rock. Mm. We built three story townhouses, opposite mm. corner block, my favorite blocks. Um, and they were two, three stories. We wanted a roof deck on top because mm-hmm. they had bay views. Um, and there was two houses on either side, two doors down, that had roof decks yeah ours got rejected and so we made a well-informed decision to take it to vcat mm-hmm. and you know six months down the track you know extra holding costs the cost of vcat the anxiety um along with the town planner class but they, we got them approved and in the yeah. end those townhouses were a lot more valuable yeah um by going through that well-informed Places. process so you just need to make sure that you know you take the recommendation of the experts mm-hmm. not just looking at the surrounds yeah. because whilst it sets a good precedent it's not not always yet. a done deal. And like I, over the years that I've dealt with, and I know Bayside's uh, council all in its own merits, um, there was one stage they were talking about all Bayside properties had to be over 800 square metres to be able to subdivide. So you need 400 square metres per lot where other councils were like, no, this is a stock standard, 600, you get 300. But mm. then now they've changed it to that 50%, 60%. 
slicing. Well, yeah, so that one was 650 in Blackrock. Yeah. You know, and so and we've got two on there. Yeah. Two, but, you know, they change. Absolutely. They have they, moments. Absolutely. They change and they also, it depends who you get. So yeah. that's the key thing. You Every have... planner I get, it's about knowing what drives them. Some are sticklers to the rules. Yeah. Others aren't so much. So planners are going to become your best friend through that nine to 12 month process. Yeah. And you know, if you need a wine and dine them, you... Look, all I can say is that they really make the decisions, you know, they yeah. implement the council guidelines and how strict they are yeah. um, is really up to them and obviously the team. They're guided yeah. by their, the manager and the team and so forth. But I actually heard some really wise advice the other day about dealing with town planning and lots of stuff, and that was know enough but don't give away that you know enough. Great advice. Right? So if they said, oh, you can't have this because of this, and it's like, oh, really, that's, you know, um, say, for instance, if you want to develop... I guess it's based on, um, actually, I remember the conversation. It was, we did a podcast about a lady who took her heritage overlay off her family home um, because she knew the house well enough that there was nothing left heritage there, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, the house was sitting on the soil. It wasn't on stumps anymore because it was, you know, and her dad had put, you know, concrete to fill in gaps and, and, you know, just things weren't right. And, yeah, so she said she knew enough to, you know, agree with the town planner with some things but then sort of said, but have you considered this? And, you know, put them in their place a little bit. Absolutely. And then they had to go, oh, actually. So she eventually got the heritage listing off her home. That's a great win. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. It's it's just it's human nature, isn't it? It's dealing with people in just that right way. Yeah, because because if you you tell them so much – that you know everything, that gets their back Backup, up. exactly. No one wants to know it all. No, so they don't. So, no. And I was just going to say, back to your question about um, Google Maps, yeah. Google Earth is so key for me. I'm yeah. always on there. And, and the key things I look for are trees and power lines. Yeah. Because you want to know where the tree's situated so you can get crossovers in yeah. and where the power, if the power lines are on your side. Yeah. And if they're in the way of where crossovers are, you need to spend a lot of money to move them. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, while you're building, you've got to pause power if they're mm-hmm. on your side. Yeah. So that's also costly as well. Did I tell you about the time when I went to a development site to write the property up and the uh, trees, tree loppers came at the same time. Like I was in the property for 15 minutes. They came and went and knocked um, and cut a tree down in the, in the on the nature strip because they the council had driven past and felt that the new crossover that they gave approval for was too close to the existing tree that was on the nature strip. So the developer got a, um, was told that they needed to remove the tree and put a new one in a metre the other side. And they said, yeah, that's fine. So he got a quote from his tree lopping person and the tree, and they said, oh, it's about 800 bucks to do it and you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars for a tree. The council goes, no, 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 no. that's on our land. We valued that tree at $4,000. It's going to cost our guys to, you know, a thousand bucks to drop it down. And then we, you need to replace it with a tree of similar value. And it cost them eight grand or something, right? And it's 15 minutes work. And the developer's looking at it. He's just standing there while I'm coming in out of the property. I said, What's going on? He goes, It's just eight grand. <laughs> 
gone. Gone. You know, and that's what counsellors can do. They can be mean and horrible like that. Yeah, absolutely. So and that's why being prepared before you buy yeah. is key. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, I digressed. But... No, that was perfect, though. That's yeah. Yeah. But it's important to be able to, I think, trees, power lines, especially on government land, yeah. you know, it's, they're not deal breakers as long as you factor them into the numbers and yeah. then depending on how the numbers come out, yeah. we'll talk about that in a sec. Yeah. Cool. So what should you think about when deciding if you should include a basement garage in your development? Basements are a really challenging one, I've got to say, and it really all comes down to the numbers with basements. Yeah. But there's one key thing with basements that I always look at and that's the cost per square metre to build a basement yeah. versus the cost per square metre of land that you're building it on. Yeah. So you always want to make sure that you're building it in a blue chip area that's worth more mm. per square metre, the land, than the actual cost of the basement. Yeah. So I've got some numbers that I prepared earlier and oh, I'm going to okay. always look that's at go. some numbers. Yeah. Um, there's just one at the moment that's happening that I thought the listeners would be interested in. Yeah. So, you know, basements can be anywhere between 150 to 300 grand. I've seen one at the moment, yeah. one architect's building 600,000. All depends on size. Yeah. But that's one, probably for the 10 car garage and the Yeah, cellar and there's and a the, gym and a separate yeah. living room, you know, different yeah. kind of lifestyle. But it's all about the ROI. So, square meter, so this Black Rock one, they're building two four car garages in a duplex. Yeah. yeah. And that's costing 300,000 cost to the builder without the margin. Yeah. Yeah. So the cost per square metre in Blackrock, or for that property in particular, so and in Blackrock, is about 3500 per yeah. square metre of land, and the cost per basement square metre is 2000 yeah. So even though it's costing about you know, 288 300 grand it was, um, it's worthwhile because you'll get that return on investment yeah. in Blackrock. Because yeah. we know it's a blue chip, um, beautiful base up suburb. Yeah. I'm a bit biased because that's where I live. Yes. Um, but, you know, for him, it's important. I think... One piece of advice I would give, especially new investors, is that basements are really about the numbers, but they're also for experienced developers yes. that know what they're doing, have got a really strong network mm-hmm. behind them. And I myself, I've been developing 15 years. I don't do basements, and I don't do them mainly because of ROI. Yeah. Even in BlackRock, when mm. I did the three-story, I was able to get three stories in, so I didn't need that basement yeah. for the height. Um, I entertained it, and I looked at the numbers and just thought, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Um, so in the end, I had to go to VCAT. So you know that did yeah. add to the cost of, but you know the cost of it's everything. But um, yeah. it was viable in the end. So. Yeah, because a lot of people see it as you know if it's cost me so ten thousand dollars per square meter, and say is typical garage is six by six, six by six, 36, so thirty six thousand. It's about two square meter per square meter to build a basement. Two. Two grand. Two yeah. grand to build it. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to build a certain size. So, so that, yeah. that example I gave you was for two four-car garages. So yeah. That's, so that's that, a lot. Yeah. So it was um, seventy-two square meters is one four-car garage. Yeah. So you know, times that by two, one forty-four by two grand, it's two eighty-eight. Yeah. So it ran it up to about three hundred thousand, yeah. and that's builder cost. He's a builder. Yeah. Plus so, they have the twenty percent margin, so that two, you yeah, know, another forty. You know, whatever, so three fifty or whatever. Up, it's it? a lot of money. So, yeah. but for BlackRock, he's more likely to get that back because he's building, you know, a massive four car garage and storeroom yeah. at the back. And you also divide that by two because it's two houses. No, that's total. That's a total. That's two four car garages. No, no, no but yeah, so you divide it. But divide by so it's one hundred and fifty each. So yeah. when you're <laughs> selling the house, yeah, absolutely. It's you're just going to get that one hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. And it, and it is, you know, for him, he's done his numbers, he's an experienced yeah. developer and he knows it will work out. Yeah. He's, you know, I think 100 metres from the beach and the, and the village, amazing location. Mm. Yeah. So. It's a good spot. 
Um, now, I've had a couple who are a little too confident before land, um, buying land sight unseen, then turn up a few days before settlement to find out that there's a bit of a slope to the land that they didn't expect, to then on-sell the property and forget about the development opportunity. Now, who should you have on your team to ensure that you're buying a viable development site? If you're not in the location to to view it personally. Yeah, that is um, gold. I bought Sight Unseen. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of developers do buy Sight Unseen. I think the difference between buying Sight Unseen successfully and yeah. buying Sight Unseen unsuccessfully is all about your due diligence. Yeah, and your team. Yeah, and your team. Yeah. But it goes back to numbers number one because yeah. if you've got bad numbers and the best team, your best team's not going to save you. Yeah. You know, so all for me, numbers are a king, as I mm-hmm. said. They're always number one. So I would start with, you know, looking at all we talked about in that first question yeah. online, doing all the desktop stuff. Yeah. And then having the team support you, you know, as you go through the process. Yeah. So for me, I know when I look at sites unseen, I do all the desktop stuff that we talked about. Yeah. Then I do the viability analysis, number two, based yeah. on all the desktop information that I've seen. Yeah. And then from there, I engage my team. Yeah. And that team, really, you know, amazing team really helps you make that a success when you've got a really strong foundation. Okay. So, so who's on that team? So for me, number one person on that team is, of course, architect. Yeah. Critical to have a really good architect. And I've got a couple that I work with. Yeah. I mean, they know all the councils intimately. They know mm. a lot of the plan as well. So you need the team to support you with that relationship with the planner. Yeah. So you can have that relationship as well, but the architect normally owns it. Yeah. So having that architect, because they know all the rules, regulations, they design, and they know the planner, so they manage it through the yeah. planning process. Um, along with myself, I, I get involved too, but not everyone else do. They can pay yeah. the architect extra to do more yeah. of that work. Accountant is key. And I remember oh, yeah. my first time I did um, a development, didn't have an accountant on board in the beginning stages, so you didn't really understand. You need to make sure you've got all your registrations up to date. So things like GST, ABN, depending on what your end outcome is, your yeah. objective. You need to have that all up to date, your structures, depending on what you're doing. So that's all so generic, but it, it is. An, an because, you know, end. apparently a company structure to build these developments is a lot better than doing it as a personal Well, look, thing. I can't comment on that stuff. <laughs> and my you're... wife would kill me because she is a tax accountant for yeah. 20 years. So she is my yeah. partner in life and finances. in developing, <laughs> developing and in finances, absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't have done any of the development we've done without her. And, yeah. you know, there's been occasions, especially in the beginning, where she did save a few things from yes. happening so having an amazing accountant is just gold yeah because they really foresee and plan things that we just are not aware of mm. unless you've done it many many times and so now yeah. i know well you know well what how what, what works and what doesn't yeah absolutely yeah and then you know another key thing is having a really good builder mm. and i sue i can't tell you how many builders i've worked with in my life i started building so i bought my first house at 22 um, and then I did a development, you know, later, when was it? First, no, I built my first house, at, I've lost track of time. Yeah. I'm going to say first, first house at 26, yeah. built. Um, and I've been building ever since. So that's a long time. I disclose my age because, you know, younger than you <laughs> look. But i um, <laughs> been building for a long time, let's just say yeah. that. And I've worked with so many different builders and finding a good one yeah. is so difficult. Finding a builder that has um, integrity, yeah. has great customer service, and, you know, overall does a great job and mm. takes pride in their work and it's not all about money. And we know at the moment builders, it's it's a really tough time for builders. Mm. We know that materials are in short supply, labour costs are hard. 
I've got friends that are builders that are going under and, mm. you know, it's heartbreaking to hear these yeah. stories. I'm fortunate that I've been working with one builder for quite a long period of time and, you know, my current development, he nearly knocked it back. He nearly said, Jim, you know, look, I don't think I could take this on. And I said, but I'm a regular customer. <laughs> you need to help me. Yeah. Um, and so he, he only takes on, you know, and works on with regular people. And yeah. he just told, I spoke to him two days ago about where we're at with my project and he said he knocked it back 20 people last month. So yeah. finding the right builder and making sure you go through a process of, you know, interviewing them mm. because everyone's different. So there's, got, you know, there's a few key things and we'll probably talk about it later to make yeah. sure you build, choose the right builder. Yeah. And then there's a, the second tier um, team as well. So I think that the key things, oh, and also you need a land surveyor because you need to subdivide at the end yeah. depending on what your objectives are. So land surveyor at the end, which mm-hmm. is really important. And then the final thing is, you know, if it's your first time using a buyer's advocate or a mm. potential property developer to help you source that right side and do all that work for you. Yeah. And that's accessing a second tier team, which is what I have, which yeah. is called sort of that agent network. Yeah. And I had an agent call me. We bought a house in Hampton, Melbourne, um, when was it, last week, uh, in 48 hours. Mm. So literally she called, she'd signed up this house. The couple was going through a divorce. It was a really awkward situation. She knows I buy a lot of development development yeah. properties. And this one was gold. Mm. Um, she called me and we put a deal together in 48 hours. Wow. We It was a four times win, so win, 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 if mm-hmm. that's what it's called. Literally it was because I went in there, I was the only one to go in there um, and met the couple. They were obviously going through a really hard time. Yeah. After 50 years of marriage, it oh, was heartbreaking yeah. for me to be going through the house. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for the client, it was amazing. So they got the settlement terms that they wanted. Mm. Um, the client got the house for 150000 below market value because mm. – if it's gone to auction, it really would have achieved that result. And if they'd been there for, say, 50 years. It was in an amazing location in Hampton, they, like walking distance of the beach and they, the shops. They would have, like, they weren't worried about loss of any income. They would have 10 times, maybe even more, what they originally paid for the house. Absolutely. I think when yeah. you're going through, I mean, look, I haven't gone through a divorce myself, but I have had friends that do. Mm. It's such a hard time yeah. that as long as you get a reasonable price and you just get the terms that you need yeah. and it's not an insult. I mean, that price we gave them was reasonable. Yeah. You know, it wasn't completely way under market value, but yeah. if it had gone to auction given the lack of stock at the moment, yeah. I think it would, would have gone for a lot more yeah. because of the competition. But the stress of it all for these, that couple would have been... So much more. I mean, you know, there's more life than money, right? And that's yeah. my philosophy in life. And I think ultimately if you're in it for just the money, you're not going to win. No. You've got to have the love for it. And yeah. to be in an environment that's toxic to you for more, more for many more months and having these opens and doing all this kind of stuff for an yeah. extra 150 grand. Yeah, some common sense needs to go into it too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. And the agent was happy as well, ultimately, because yeah. you got a deal done fast and that's what um, yeah. they know when they come to me. Yeah, cool. Now, obviously, we've, you, it sounds like you're really big on the numbers. So what other features should we be looking for in a viable development site? So as we said, numbers gold, right? Yeah. Or king, whatever you want to call it. So for me, looking at the total cost of the site, yeah. um, including stamp duty is number one. And then you've got to really factor in your holding costs, mm. which a lot of people don't do. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially in the beginning, they use a lot of emotion. So they look at things through rose-coloured glasses. And I know when I first started, I was that guy too, because you go, I really want this. It's amazing. I'm sure I'll get 100 grand more than what it's worth. But Factor in always the worst case scenario so that you can have a realistic guidance on yeah. what it's worth. So I think you've got to factor in at least nine to 12 months of planning. Yeah. My last one took 12 months due to COVID delays. So yeah. 12 months is probably realistic at this point. Yeah. And then nine to 12 months for the build yeah. um, because building is quite 
difficult. Um, yeah, difficult time consuming at the moment. So yeah. 24 months of interest. Yeah. Um, holding that and potentially you might get some rent if it's a rentable property. Yeah. So you um, might get rented that first year based on the fact that it's going to take 12 months for things to go through council, get plans developed, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then subdivision costs, which come at the end, mm-hmm. and then also your exit costs, which are advertising and agent fees to sell yeah. them, depending on if you're selling one or both or three or whatever yeah. your objectives and are. lots of agents do a variation on the theme with that. Some might go, look, let's just advertise this one and maybe the underbidder for that one will buy the second one. Or, you know, and that's... Um, There's a lot of different strategies depending yeah. on, you know, a lot of people buy one and hold, you know, the first-time developers that I work with. Yeah. So I just... That one that I was talking about in Hampton, they're building two, yeah. they're living in one and selling the other one. Yeah. And that's their foot in the door to get into a, a blue chip suburb like Hampton. Yeah. You know, and that's how I got, you know, my way into yeah. BlackRock, same sort of and thing. And though, like, you know, we're not giving legal or financial advice here, but some people, for instance, will live in a property for that first year to say it's their principal place of residence and get those... Yes, we're not going to go into that, but that's true. It happens a lot. It does happen a lot. (laughs) But that's a very novice thing to do as a developer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is, but it's done. It's done. So ultimately, you know, I think you've just got to be clear in your objective and then you work out your numbers from there. Yeah. So gold. So the other factors we were talking about was we already touched on trees. I won't go into them too much. Um, But ultimately, it's just all about the position of the trees. Trees, power lines we talked about knowing where they are and the cost of them because you yeah. can work around them. But I've had to remove a power line because it was in the way of a crossover. And 15 years ago, it was 20 grand. I'm sure it's a lot more. I just never bought one again yeah. after that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's even more now, right, 20, 15 probably. years later. Crossovers, uh, you know, I rejected – sorry, no, we bought a site that had a massive tree in the middle of the nature strip and I got my tree guy to go out there, my tree guy, to go out there and assess it, and it was an exotic tree, and he said, Jim, you've got no chance. In fact, they've molded the footpath around it, so I could have seen it for myself yeah. and realised this ain't, tree ain't going nowhere. Mm. But we were putting the crossovers on either side of that driveway, yeah. so it was okay yeah. in the end. So you've just got to be careful about that. Yeah. Corner sites, I think I said to you, they're my favourite. My last three developments have been corner sites, but they're yeah. super hard to find. Yeah. Um, so being in, in the job that I'm in helps me find them for myself and for my clients. Yeah. Um, heritage overlays, I would say. Steer yeah. clear of them. Um, and the other thing we talked about was streetscape. Yeah. You know, so looking at what you said earlier and what I yeah. said, which is, you know, other properties around you that have been developed, don't assume, but have that as a really good basis and, you know, argument yeah. that it's been done before and you can too. Yeah. Um, and, I'll, you know, lastly, orientation, you know, is it north, south, east, west facing? Well, it's just so funny because I had a meeting this morning and so I have clients that are, you know, Asian background that yeah. really prefer north facing at, at the, the front, front of the house yeah. because it's to do with their, you know, religion feng and, and, and feng shui and yeah. all those sorts of things. But religion's a big part of it. Yeah. So I recently bought a house which was the opposite to what all my Western yeah. clients look for, which is north yeah. of the back because yeah. you're getting all that sunlight. So yeah. I think it just comes down to client objective for me. Yeah. You know, I know myself, I'm a mixture of both. Yeah. And I like that orientation. I'm into feng shui, but I also like the light coming into yeah. living areas. And that's yeah. what you want yeah. with the north-facing rear, really, yeah. potentially. Definitely, yeah. Now, every council is different um, in their processes. Some are obviously more protective of trees. Some are wanting consistent or diverse streetscapes. Some have strict land sizes per unit site. From your experience, which councils are open to work with, you know, what you need rather than, you know, black and white? Gee, that's a hard one. (laughs) Hard one to answer. But look, I think 
councils are pretty similar in the yeah. fact that they're all moving to become stricter. Yeah. For me, Bayside and Kingston, I do a lot of Bayside development because the beach is my passion. Yeah. Um, I know Bayside and Kingston are the strictest when it comes to vegetation, yeah. protection, overlays, and Bayside in particular, and then within Bayside, Bow Morris is the worst. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've got a brief in Bow Morris at the moment and we rejected a property again based on a tree. Yeah. That's always a tree that's a yeah. culprit. Yeah. So they're probably I, the worst when it comes I to vegetation. I believe, like, is it Whitehalls with Blackburn and stuff? That's quite protective of their trees as well. Yeah, they're all sort of following the lead. Yeah. They Basically, believe it or not, we're sort of the leaders. And yeah. there are, I probably shouldn't say that. But according to my tree expert... That's what his, um, his experiences. You know, his experiences, absolutely. Yeah. But then there's other councils that have been really good. So Danong's really um, great from a planning perspective, yeah. but they take a lot longer when it comes to a subdivision point of view. Okay. And then the city of Glenarrow is probably the best I've ever seen in terms of a three-month planning approval oh, for wow. a really well-designed duplex. So it's going is to be Is that why well there's so many townhouses in Bentley, in Bentley East? And Caulfield, <laughs> and, Caulfield. And, and so forth. So it's yeah. going to be really good, but that's the quickest I've ever seen because yeah. my quickest prior to that was six months mm-hmm. and then the longest was just recently 12 months due to COVID. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of councils with different rules, but I think it does come down to the planner. Yeah. Good to keep that in mind. Now, now we have a little bit of an overview of what we need to look for in a development site. After the break, we will talk about the rising costs of labour and materials, as well as other ways we can address the viability of a development site. You're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm your host, Sue Langada, and I'm talking today with buyer's advocate and property developer, Jim Malamatinas. You got it again. <laughs> I got it again from A-Game Advisory about finding a viable development site. So, Jim, how do we know if we have bought the right site for the right price? I think buying the right site ultimately comes down to everything we've talked about. So yeah. doing the due diligence, making sure you know, you've got all the zoning overlays, fit your objective in terms of what you want to put on there, then you've got to make sure the numbers stack up. And I think ultimately it's just taking that emotion aside in terms of living there or whatever you've got and making sure there's a profit at the end of the day because developments take between 18 months and two years Mm -hmm. and it needs to be a payoff ultimately. As much as we're passionate about what we do, we're going to pay the bills. And we don't actually have a crystal ball to know if in two years' time when you want to sell it that the market's going to be up or down. Correct. You we know, we know there's a, a cycle in the market, and at the moment, it's in a transitional phase. So, it is. Um, it's really important to you know make sure you've got all that information, mm-hmm. and then go out looking for it. Using a buyer's advocate for if you're new really helps you to access agent networks and making sure you get properties that are off market potentially, yeah. and having that expert negotiation where you know you get insights in terms of what the vendor's motivations are to sell. Like, unfortunately, there's a lot of issues with. Um, divorce, anxiety, depression, where people don't want to go to market. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of properties that you don't even see. Yeah. And that example that we talked about with Hampton, a 48-hour deal before that, you know, six months ago I did a 30-hour deal, same sort of thing. Mm. No one knew about it. Well, the yeah. first one's in. So if you want to get it, if you want to be first, eliminate the competition, yeah. off-market's the way to go. Yeah. And, you know, engage a buyer's advocate. If you can. If you can. If you can. can but you yeah. definitely save you need more money yeah. than you pay Yeah. in the long run. Yeah. Definitely. Now, um, you touched on before, you know, but what's the actual feasibility study that we should be investing in? Well, it's basic. Yeah. Spreadsheet. 
spreadsheet? Simple, yeah, it's a, like what I talked about before. Yeah. It's a simple spreadsheet that you can do yourself in terms yeah. of, you know, just start a basic spreadsheet and yeah. I'll talk you through, you know, you literally put the cost of the land on there yeah. um, and you factor in, you know, total cost, then your holding costs, your build costs, your sales costs and subdivision costs and look for your, your profit at the end. And, and depending on... And put your worst case scenario in every worst, time. always. You know, don't be the gym 15 years ago that just yeah. thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. And luckily it worked out for me through yeah. probably luck and my wife guiding a lot of the yeah. financials. But, um, but yeah. go worst case scenario and always factor a lower sell price yeah. and longer time frames for building planning. Yeah. And then if it's quicker, then you've got a bonus and there's an upside versus a downside, which is a lot better to deal with an upside than down. You'd be pretty happy, yeah. yeah. You've got, to, you've got to stay happy. That's what you have to do. Our current climate of higher interest rates, expensive labour and rising material costs are going to be a changing, basically makes it a changing dynamic at the moment. So, and it's a lot of uncharted territory for a lot of developers and you know, everybody else out there who are trying to, you know, build homes and, and, you know, we, we keep hearing things like all this doom and gloom, but the reality is there's, you know, overseas buyers coming back in. There's low unemployment, so we need more immigrants in for doing certain things. They all have to bring in a certain amount of money to come into the country. All these things are actually positive, but we are still struggling with the reality of, you know, bush fires have killed a pine plantation which yeah. makes life hard to get timber. Russia, Ukraine and yeah, Russia Ukraine. and all yeah, that sort of stuff. All these things which are making life a little bit harder to get things going or we have to diversify a little bit. You know, do we have steel frame versus a timber frame for our house? All these little factors that have to come in. So, you know, the reality is, you know, is it going to be easy to make a profit? No, nothing in life, nothing <laughs> in life is easy that's good. Yeah. Um, I think if you know what you're doing, you can make a profit, but it's definitely a lot more complicated now than it was 15 years ago when I did my first one yeah. and I didn't know what I was doing back then. Yeah. So, look, ultimately there's two trust companies at the moment that we can get wood from. Yeah. You know, and so I just started a, a development about four weeks ago and yeah. we ordered our timber straight away to yeah. make sure there wasn't as much of a delay. Now, my build's still forecasted to be six months, yeah. which is record time. It's because I've got a great team around me yeah. that will get things done. So... I personally think there's an amazing opportunity for investors over the next six months yeah. because interest rates have slightly gone up, but they're still at record time yeah. lows. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are sitting back mm-hmm. and it's winter, so people are just sitting back and waiting and watching. And the ones that jump in now and actually do something, this is where the opportunity comes. Yeah. Um, but if you want to follow the pack and sit back and watch, well, come spring, you'll be at auctions with the rest yeah. of the people competing for properties that yeah. will go above and beyond. So I guess in answering your question, can you make money? Yes, you can. Yeah. You need to buy strategically. You yeah. need to have a really strong plan. You need to do your numbers and all your DD. Yeah. But then you need a really good team around you. So that two-tiered team that we talked about, yeah. encompassing the builder is probably the critical thing at the yeah. moment. So finding a really good builder, and like I said, my builder said no to 20 people last month. That's, yeah. And he felt so bad doing oh, that, but yeah. it, just, it wasn't profitable for him. Yeah. So you really need to go through many builders, interview mm. them, and sign a fixed contract if you can because many builders are now moving to cost plus yeah. margin, which means that they can increase prices along the cost of the build. So yeah. you can't really – so your numbers, whatever you've factored in, yeah. are most likely to change. So, yeah. you know, finding a builder, 
interviewing that builder, asking for references in terms of trades, asking yeah. for references in terms of past builds, really qualify that builder so you understand, you know, and their integrity. And even ask your builder to give you a worst-case scenario, fixed quote, you know. Absolutely. You know, and the reality is that could be pushed down, you know. Unlikely. But Unlikely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love your positivity. But, you, you know, know, absolutely. I mean, yeah. people still think, I mean, I talk to so many people every day and I just give, you know, my guidance, like I said before, I never mm. push my thinking on people because it could be wrong. At the end yeah. of the day, it's just based on speaking to builders, speaking to a lot of experts yeah. in the field and taking their guidance as to what's going on. Yeah. But people are still waiting to next year. They, they think the building prices are going to go down. And from everyone I speak to that's experts in this profession, yeah. they're factoring that they're not. Okay. So do you believe that time to normally develop a property will be pushed out much? Do you reckon we'll be seeing, like, instead of a six to 12-month build, there'll be, like, 12 to 24-month uh, builds? Look, I think it depends on the builder, yeah. ultimately, and that's why it's so important to really screen them. My builder's yeah. still doing six-month builds, and he did a fixed-price contract for me. So he's yeah. so heavily motivated to yeah. get my build done because he knows that prices are going up yeah. for materials and labour. So as soon as I paid my deposit, bang, he ordered steel, yeah. he ordered the trusses, the timber, and we've got everything just lined up. Project yeah. plan is... You know, ready to go. So that's probably key. That's a, could, a key thing. Like, you know, once you, you know, ask your builder before you engage him, say, how quickly, if I was to sign today, when would you start ordering my materials? Absolutely. It's all about ordering materials because yeah. prices go up with those yeah. materials, right? So the sooner you order them, yeah, they need your deposit to order them. Yeah. And they've got a project plan and then you look at how strictly they stick to that yeah. project plan. And I know my builder, he's, he rings me, he's on it. You know, I ring him occasionally when he hasn't called me because he's so yeah. busy. Yeah. Because you're not already onto that. That's planned. Yeah. But there's others that oh, we're waiting, still waiting for the windows because we had to order them late. Like, oh, mate, they've gone up already. Yeah. You know, so that's if that was a fixed price contract, that would be a loss for that builder. Yeah. Versus if that was a cost plus, that would be a loss for you. Mm. You know, so ultimately, it's just making sure that you've got that right team around yeah. you after you've done your numbers. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the two key things, right? So ultimately, yeah, there, there could be really long. I've heard of eighteen months. I've heard of two year builds right yeah. now. Yeah. But they're the they're the builders that aren't the busiest and most organised. Yeah. So that's why screening them properly. Yeah. And it's hard to find really good builders at the moment. I've got to yeah. give people that. It, it's yeah. super hard, but there's it can be done. It just takes time. And the reality is, time is money. Every single day we're paying interest on those <laughs> yes, holding costs. Yes, we are. Now, lastly, if you are starting out with um. You know, as a developer, because, you know, you think this is a perfect time to start because you're really ambitious and all that sort of stuff. You were an ambitious gym from 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is some great advice for those who just want to get into the market? I think ultimately it's all about finding the right site. So yeah. you're going to focus your attention on finding that right site yeah. and doing those numbers. So doing yeah. the DDs we just spoke about, yeah. it's really easy to do. All those websites that I gave you, you can just jump on, yeah. look at sites, speak to agents, yeah. ask questions, yeah. you know, and do all the, you know, if you find the perfect sites, yeah. plug it all into those websites, get all the information, yeah. and then do the rough numbers based on a simple spreadsheet that I talked to you yeah. through before. Yeah. You should and put then, that simple spreadsheet on your website and say, I download this free download. That's what you should do. Happy to chat through it with people <laughs> if they needed more information. But it's, it's, it is, it's really, it's rough maths. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and be good at maths. No, yeah. have that in your brain. Yeah. But yeah, it's literally finding that site and getting a good team behind you. Once, yeah. once you find the site, yeah. then you've got to get a good team yeah. behind and you. And it, it might take you 12 months, two years to find that great team. And it's probably, I reckon that's probably 
your most vital thing before you even look at the site. Potentially, unless you find a really great, you know, team beforehand. You That's know, what I'm saying. The, yeah, 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 the site team. Yeah. You know, because finding yeah. there's sort of two teams in my opinion is that the first team is the team to help you find the site. Yeah. You know, and that all that comes with it, all the contacts and the people yeah. that help you find it. Yeah. And then there's developing the site. So there's yeah. sort of two phases two, two, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for your worldly advice on land viability for development. If our listeners would like your help in purchasing a development site, how can they contact you? Thanks, Sue. It's been a pleasure. Um, they can just go to my website, everything. All my contact details are on there. So it's um, agameadvisory.com.au. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And we will also put your details on our show notes and our website um, and social media. So, yep, we will make sure that our listeners contact with you. So thanks so much, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Sue. And thanks, thanks for the talk. Thank you. Next week, we have the guru of high cash flow investment, Goro Gupta from 10 Properties in 10 Years. Goro has just gone to the USA to celebrate Richard Branson's birthday with him. But before that, he recorded a podcast with us explaining the various high cash investments available to everyday mums and dads and how you can benefit from investing in property through Goro's various strategies. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies, and is written, hosted, and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Thank you.